Uh, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the Not Investment Advice NIA boys here. Trung fan, me, Master Flex himself, right at Boom, writing for Bloomberg. And then we've also got our boy Jack Butcher, founder of Visualize Value. And I'm Bilal Zaidi, as always. Boys, it's been a big, big week for us. It was a big moment for NIA. We had our boy Michael Saylor on the pod last week. There's no other place to start. How was it for you guys? Right. It took us only 66 episodes to get Michael Saylor on the podcast. <laughs> that, is a, that is a metric that if you'd have told me on day one of NIA, I would not have believed you. So from that perspective, it's an absolute resounding success. Incredible <laughs> success. Most watched episode by what, by what uh, multiple? Three, four times? Maybe yeah, more than that? I guess so. Yeah, because there's YouTube, which has obviously popped off more than normal. Then the audio side is pretty good as well. Yeah, well, thank you we to every to, new listener, right? That's we have to give because credit. Of Sailor. Yeah, thank you to the new listeners. And well, we, what we discover from Bilal's analytics is a lot of people wake up every morning and search Michael Sailor. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of crazy the amount of comments we got. People like, I wake up and I search the Sailor videos. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I love, I respect that, man. If Yo. you got to, some people That's do David Goggins. I used to That's do a little. Brand. That's it, man. He knows what he's doing. But yeah, was there anything else? I mean, not, we've had a chance to listen to it several times by this point. We've had comments from people. Were there things that you would do differently? Were there things that you're like, oh, actually, I thought thought about what you said and it makes more sense now, like the sugar cube Tesla, yeah. nuclear Tesla, whatever it was? Um, yeah, curious what you guys thought overall on the, that side. Something that we've talked about in the past uh, within our group chats and on the podcast is if you take anything he says out of context, it may be the most ridiculous thing you ever heard in your life. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the like a sugar cube, uh, a, a fusion reactor powered by a sugar cube for hundred years. Insane, if you think about it objectively. But then, if you listen for the next three minutes, it makes all the sense in the world. Because he's like, what I'm trying to say is, he's giving the most absurd example just to illustrate the fact that to him. You can agree with it or you can disagree with it. We saw in the comments, a lot of people was all over their head. Understandably, half the chat was over my head. But Same. his point was that Bitcoin to him is the equivalent of base 10 math or uh, a Newton's calculus. As in, he created the foundation to build stuff on top. So you're not going to get a better foundation that you might. You can quibble around the edges, but it's like, why? I, I actually really, I really took to that uh, that part of his explanation he's like why, why would you want something better than calculus like well it's already working we're launching rockets we're making nuclear reactors it's like now you're just quibbling at the at the sides right so academics do as we know michael Sill is not an academic he's in the yeah. real world building <laughs> yeah fair enough he's just about in the real world mate right uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. i will say the only thing based on what you just said there i did think there were quite a lot of false equivalencies and that like to paint a picture for people we don't have to go into every single one here but like first of all i think he's great like i like him overall he's hilarious like the stuff he says i respect him a lot right but i would say i probably don't agree with like more than 50 percent of stuff he says like during the pandemic when we were listening and like everyone's on this bull market run trying to get their heads around what the new kind of meme and idea of bitcoin was the narrative of like digital gold i thought he did a better job than pretty much anyone in that in that time and that's why we talked about him since episode zero right but over time, the more I've listened, I've kind of been like, okay, this is, this is really cool and, and, and interesting. He's got a great way of communicating. But at the same time, 
like I didn't ever think it was really that objective and you know this that's got to become really boring talking about it too long but that's kind of like how I thought about it for a while um, and then uh, just to paint a f picture for people like we had an hour booked with him right like he could we could ask him three questions and he could go for the whole time if we wanted so like we were also trying to be respectful like not interrupt him every two minutes but also like try to challenge him where it made sense so I feel overall I'm like very happy with it and I thought it was a really good chat um, there are a couple of things I wrote here oh yeah the kind of summary for me was like the idea of like maximalism and uh, this is something Balaji talked a lot about on his recent episode with Tim Ferriss. And whether that's, you know, Bitcoin maximalism or any other maximalism, there's, I can't say that word very well, but <laughs> there's, there's just the like, there's a good and bad to it. And I think there's that kind of ideology is what he called it. Uh, I actually got a quote here. He said, maximalists, Bitcoin maxis are... Uh, what, sorry, give me one second. Bitcoin maximalism is the most important ideology in the world that people don't know about. And that is like, and there's a lot more context around that, but he's basically talking about, he's not even saying it's good or bad. He's just saying there's this underlying thing that in his view is going to take over the world in terms of five, 10 years from now, there's going to be, you know, a lot more things running, distributed, a digital currency ecosystem that is running outside of the traditional world. And and Bitcoin Maxis specifically are the most devout, right? Like they are like almost religious in a way, in the way that and we've talked about this before. Um, and in a way that makes it a lot stronger, because if you think about the history of time, like if you look at monotheist religions, I was talking to my friend about this last night, like, you know, uh, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, uh, like one God, one focus, there's 10 commandments, like there's there's like one huge focus and everything else is is a there's less gray and that allows you to convert people in in so many words in a in a much better way when there's a lot more gray it's like oh do we do proof of stake or proof of work and do we do this DeFi project but then five of them have rugged people you know there's a lot more things that can break so in that way i think they've got like i'm not definitely not a maxi in any way but i think that is quite an interesting idea um but yeah, I know some of you, you two listened to the pod as well, but was there anything else on Sailor before we talk a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking back at, I think we got him to say some new things and I'm not waking up and searching his name on YouTube every day. So maybe I'm not <laughs> accurate in, in making that uh, statement. But I think some of the frames that we teed up, like got him to talk about things in a slightly different way, even like, admitting the value of some of the things that are being built outside of the Bitcoin ecosystem, but yeah. are inherently unethical because they're not being built on Bitcoin, which again, like we probably, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing that we don't have someone that's supremely technical on this podcast to kind of get into the nuances. But as far as my understanding goes, like the infrastructure of Bitcoin has its limitations. Like it does not operate in a way that allows it to like run custom computation. So all of these things are, I don't know. I, I guess I struggle with the, the, the gap between where we are and where we're going without all of the things that are being developed outside of the ecosystem. Like it's kind of like, I guess the analogy that, comes to my mind is like a conglomerate or a, like a large corporation that, but like a Google basically like sees this 
great innovation happen in a like area not too dissimilar from where they operate. And they're like, we're going to buy that Apple, right? One password, we're going to buy that and integrate it. And there's been all this amazing and interesting development around the ecosystem, whether it's unethical or whatever. People recognize the value in it, but the time it takes to get it into that ecosystem is either 10 times longer, a hundred times longer, or just nobody does it. So that was the question that I was like wanting to get an answer to. And you, uh, really like it devolves to like, well, unethical people are trying to make a quick buck elsewhere. And I think the other like overarching point that I took, I think someone actually mentioned this in a YouTube comment is like, people don't really understand his frame because he's not operating from the same economic perspective as 99.999999% of he's people. He's post-economic, right? Yeah. He's a billionaire. Yeah. He's got yeah. yacht here, house there, this, that, like you can pontificate about whatever you want at that level. And I think some of the assumptions, this is true of everybody, right? Like if you're in a different situation than somebody, like the gap, the empathy gap between you and the person you're talking to just gets wider and wider and wider based on how much of an outlier you are. And he's most certainly an outlier. So I think he talks about it from the perspective of like, if the Bitcoin standard was in operation tomorrow, this is how I see the world operating. And, and, uh, you know, that it's always fascinating to listen to somebody that has that level of, you know, vision to en- like envision a world that operates so differently than the one we live in today. But um, yeah, just some of the short-term questions, I think that's where the maximalist ideology is getting challenged the most because it's like, okay, if this is true, then why hasn't it been done or built or accomplished? Or And, and uh, the other thing I think we'll get into this later is like just the spending ideology and the, when does this become a currency that you spend versus um, we've talked about this in loads of different contexts. It's like, it's really hard to change the direction of a thing after it's got, and it's like velocity, like the way a community of people behaves is like a, is a thing until that behavior is no longer recognized by the larger group like the tribe either like expands exponentially or it eventually dies. So I think just thinking about Bitcoin as all the things we talk about as a meme, it's like, does it have the narrative power to like continue to grow? And I think everybody admits that that is being held up by real world applications, use cases, onboarding, all of this stuff. And if the onboarding is, Hey, put your money in here, and wait a hundred years to spend it. I think that is like not helpful to grow an ecosystem, right? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the other thing I was going to pull out um, from Balaji's uh, chat with Tim Ferriss, and I definitely, I mean, I'd love, we'd love to get him on. Obviously, at some point, he'd be amazing guest to have. But um, one of the things he says: "Our maximalists are in it for fundamentally political, moral, social, or ethical things." And he also says, I still recognize his zeal. Zeal really, really matters. Zeal matters because zeal is the difference between selling when it's low and zeal is the difference between selling never. So I was, I, it was a transcript and it wasn't really nice to read out. But yeah, essentially saying the difference between selling when something is low, like a lot of people might have done in the last six months versus I believe in this thing forever. Like this is happening in the same way someone might believe in, in heaven and hell and that keeps them on the right path you know like that to me is also quite a powerful thing for a community of people i'm not saying that's a bad thing at all um but i I think that is interesting in one way but then on the other side if you think about 
changing people's minds over time through narrative is obviously a big part of that. But also, like you said, it's the use case and people actually using things. If it's ever going to be something that is worth more than just this thing's going to be worth more in the future than it is today, therefore you should buy it then it needs to have those real use cases, which we obviously did challenge on the pod and talk about Ethereum, DeFi, NFTs, other stuff, which are very complicated things, but have actually shown, I mean, we talked half of the, the, the thing he was talking about was stable coins. Stable coins have been built on Ethereum as well. So um, majority- he gave, five, he gave use cases, he gave five. Yeah. He said, uh, digital property, uh, stable coin, tokens, uh, it can include NFTs in there, peer-to-peer, uh, transfers. instant peer-to-peer transfers. transfers and then uh, 365 24-7 trading trade, yeah. he said those are all five good use cases yeah. he says some he never said it straight but he just said a lot, he just anticipates all of them will migrate to Bitcoin right and it goes to kind of goes to what you brought up Bilal and again I cannot for the NIA uh, listeners and long-time listeners we were laughing so hard at Walter Bilal Cronkite here not letting <laughs> Schiller just Skate through it, <laughs> challenging. I mean, people commented in the telegrams like Bilal kept that thing going. It's like I'll give you my frame when Bilal said at the very beginning, "How would you do differently?" My mindset going in, and we tried about it. It's like we knew this guy was gonna cook. If you have the chef in the kitchen, you let him cook, right? And all you can do is team up and let him cook. And we knew this. We could have asked one question. Yeah. He could have talked for ninety minutes. Uh, Bilal was very. Bilal, more than myself or Jack, for sure, is like, Bilal's like, we need to get more in. Like, if you rewatch it, there are parts of Bilal, you can see Bilal's like inching in, you know, like when you're trying to like <laughs> slowly cut someone off, but yeah. like very respectfully. But back to the Ethereum uh, question and, you know, different use cases, somebody in the comments, I believe it was in the YouTube comments, made a very good point. So the entire premise that we reached out to Sailor and how it started was from that video from 2012 that started the podcast where he was explaining if you know enough about something, but you're not expert, you can hurt yourself, which I still think is just an incredible piece of wisdom. And, um, but somebody in the comments wrote, has he spent 10,000 on Ethereum? Mm, to opine on it, yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but it could be the case that he's looking at it purely from it. Is this a decentralized, uh, crypto protocol, right? Cause that's how he's attacking it. It's like, it's not decentralized and it should be a security. But then I, I guess the question that the commenters like, well, has he tried to play with it? Has he tried to see how the community is Is he on MetaMask flipping NFTs? Can you imagine? I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I thought that was an interesting comment. And the last thing I'll say was, I am very happy that he actually, it took, it was a little bit of a long lead up, but uh, he applied the, know enough to hurt yourself to the crypto mm. community and it just made me that was like i was hoping for him to do that but when he said listen they're computer scientists that have been in this game for 10 years then that don't understand what i'm saying and i'm like okay so he's really he's he's clearly thought about this for thousands of hours right we know this he's talked about it for thousands of hours and um that for him to say and look at the community and be like i think that this not knowing enough to hurt yourself applies to a lot of the community fair enough a lot of people may disagree with that, but I was trying to tease that out without asking directly. I, I do agree that that's a great um, line of wisdom, right? Like, and that's a good reminder for all of us, like stuff we don't actually know about, like don't try to pretend to be an expert. At the same time, when you're having a debate with someone, we weren't actually having a debate, we're just having a conversation. If he was debating, let's say Vitalik or someone like that, if, you just, if your argument was, well, you just don't understand what I'm saying enough, you haven't spent the time 
and you and that that to me is a bit of a weak argument it's a little bit like like is you kind of what you say when you don't have anything else to, to fall back on it's like or what you, you do in high school right it's like yeah. oh you listen i read the books guy or it's like the teacher move right hey yeah. i'm the teacher yeah, yeah i don't exactly. have to argue yeah. about this Okay. Well, and especially when and when you use the word moral, like again, I'm not saying he he had very valid points on on some of those those things about criticism of Eve, and I would actually agree with uh, like the, the, going back in time, like I think some of those things they did were potentially unethical. You could make the argument either way, um, but I think it's it. There, there was another thing that Balaji said which stuck with me, and I can't remember the exact phrase, but he said something along the lines of there's a funny contradiction in a group of people whose whose ideology is about like kind of anti-government in a way like let's be uh, a party away from the government like we have our own money we don't need fiat currency but then on the flip side you're saying ethereum is not fdic insured or whatever the, the phrase he used there was something else he, he talked about unregistered security he said or something like that and it, it's kind of like you you, the whole ethos of the this world is about breaking away from the the status quo and like again it kind of comes back to this circular argument which i think you can poke holes in for sure and given the time we had we don't we weren't there for three hours we weren't having a heated debate we were just trying to have a good conversation given that i'm like very happy with the way it ended up it looks like people most people really liked it as well um all right boys anything else on that that was really interesting i think we could talk for an hour about this but jack looks like you're thinking about something mate yeah like i was just going to agree with your last statement like you could go into all the nuance of it and it's hard like he's done 15 hour recordings on this yeah. subject by himself <laughs> so we're not going to get you know we're not going to get to the bottom of it but it was amazing to have made that happen man testament to the power of the internet mate yeah mate very good definitely no appreciate yeah I, I will say one thing when when jack sent us in our chat he said it only took us 66 episodes to get sailor and and like the the reason i would just say this is all three of us like built stuff on the internet and like done stuff right like that is one of the main reasons i love working with you guys because it's like this assumption that it's going to take a thousand like you're like oh we're doing thousands of reps of this like this is a long-term thing and like the to me, I'm like 66. I'm like, yeah, when I started Create Lab, I was trying to go for the jugular, like straight away, trying to get <laughs> yeah. all these big names. Yo, and Elon, it, yeah. uh, what's popping, bro? Yeah, 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 exactly. But no, definitely, I mean, a big moment for, for us three together. And, and for honestly, like the day one NI fans who've been like yeah, following us. I know there are a lot of listeners uh, that message us. We appreciate that. Let me yeah. leave them with one, one piece of wisdom. If you think you can do more than one thing in life, you're wrong. You can't. <laughs> Because as soon as you find success in one thing and you go start looking at something else, somebody smarter than you with less to lose and more to gain, they're working 100 hours a week. That's that true. Dude, that, the way he ended it was part, good. Man, that part was good. Bro, I listened to that before I go for a run. For the people that, that's completely <laughs> over the head, that was Michael Saylor's advice. time to run, Trunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Michael Saylor's advice for newly grad. Is that focus on one thing. Because you have a hundred opinions, but the only world the world only wants to hear one. You can do a hundred things, but the world only wants to pay you for one. What was it? Yeah. it was something about energy, dissipating energy. Yeah, yeah. It? I mean, that was that was. I, I'm glad you got that question in trunks. It, like his point of view on that is so good. It's a, he said so uh, good, and he's a living yeah. example of yeah. it. 
Well, <laughs> except for the fact that he disrespected a strategy. Yeah, yeah. At a time. Well, he found a new vehicle to put that energy in, right? Is uh, Yeah. Well, he talked about it. he saw that MicroStrategy had kind of hit its its plateau as a business. But uh, yeah, but he had to reinvent quote, and find a new one. Go on, go on. Final go on. quote on it is that uh, Bilal, you brought it up, but uh, he said about energy is that the problem with the world is dissipating energy. What's the solution? Stop dissipating energy. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is wise words. Yeah, but anyway, thanks for Sailor, Michael Sailor, if you listen to this. Thanks for coming on, mate. We really appreciate it. And that was a big moment for us. Um, talking of Sailor, there's a lot of people that have been saying the Not Investment Advice podcast episode with Michael Saylor was the bottom of the market. Definitely not investment advice. But boys, the last week, we, we've talked about betting versus building. I'm definitely still on the building train, but I'm not going to lie. In the last week when I saw that green, that beautiful green, it's like that meme, like the tiny wow. little green. Was yeah, all, yeah, exactly. All I was going to say, look at a one-year chart, mate. Yeah, and that was reset, yeah. Well, you got to look, look at a five-year chart. and you. Yo, you listeners, you got to say, Bilal actually messaged us. He's like, hey, I, I, got, I got some bids on my toads again. <laughs> because <laughs> Jack said there was the immoral pump of ETH going and I was yeah. like yeah I know <laughs> yeah. it's back when I'm getting a, a bid on my toad um, but yeah I will say so again all jokes aside there was news about ETH merge has uh, been I think announced for September which is a few months away I don't know enough about this but um, yeah essentially the transition for proof of work to proof of stake the immoral one which we talked about in the last episode uh, I definitely don't think it's tomorrow, but yeah, um, that what's is. What's the staking schedule, Blah, What's the staking schedule? Did, yeah, we no one yeah. knows. That's that's <laughs> the thing. <laughs> We're gonna have so many inside jokes forever now, just based on that one episode. Um, but yeah, Jack, you said you might have a, a theory on something about the merge. Yeah, I, I think uh, is this maybe the post sailor reflection is a good time to bring this up. I'll try and be brief about it as well. Like, um. A friend of mine has got this meme where he talks about like people think Bitcoin is valuable for its asset design. And uh, they got the Goodfellas laughing table, you know, like yeah, the yeah. dudes all just like cracking up. And in some ways that is true, right? It's like the asset design and the way you can talk about it and the way you can frame it up in the context of all the other ways the world works, that story makes it valuable and makes people trust in that thing, right? So if you think about you can build an amazing argument around that. And then the way I think about the idea of Ethereum becoming this thing that can drop its energy expenditure by 99.9%, regardless of the ethical or religious uh, um, implications of that from whatever perspective you sit from in the environment and the world we live in today, like which one of those memes has a better shot of getting traction as the oh, future man. of money? Yeah. The one, energy That's wise, me. you mean? Correct. Yeah. And also, d just one minor thing I want to bring up that he, he talked about um, how it was immoral. Sorry, I just want to let this one out. <laughs> it was immoral um, to kill the ETH mining industry that support it and all this stuff. And I again, without knowing all the details, that to me, again, is like... you. Like if there's a horse and carriage industry, you're not going to say it's immoral to build a car that was better than the horse and carriage industry. So anyway, that was also a similar kind of argument that I feel like we were kind of going in circles there. But yeah, so so Jack, you're saying in terms of the viability of the meme to spread into a wider narrative 
for the wider world to adopt. You're saying that kind of ESG or whatever side is important. Yeah, I think like, I don't know, maybe I'm not sophisticated enough, but the idea that like the phys, you know, when you use the physics analogy where it's like, this is inevitable because it's physics. Like if I throw my computer screen out of the window right now, it's going to hit the lawn, right? If I like walk down the street and say, hey, everybody, what's your favorite money? They're not going to say the same thing. Well, they are. They're all going to say the green, the you know, dollar. the Benjamins. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for any currency to succeed, it is about human consensus, right? And there are definitely amazing arguments that you can make about getting people to believe in things and adopt things and spend things. And I think there is an inertia and an inevitability to those memes at a certain point. The more, I, I don't disagree with any of this stuff Michael Saylor said about, you know, the monetary policy can switch the this, the that. And it's like, yeah, that's true of some very, very, very successful monetary systems in human history, arguably like the thing that they all have yeah. in common, the thing that we've been able to adopt, whether you think that's right or wrong. I'm just talking purely from the perspective of like, which story is more believable, therefore, which one gets the most adoption, which one do people accept with the least resistance? And maybe mm. I'm, you know, maybe no, I'm saying, point. maybe that's not the right way to think about it. But when I think about like, all of the mainstream attacks at a um, at a currency, like some of the political and social hot topics of our time, what is supposed to happen with Ethereum is addressing those things in a positive way. You know, energy being the biggest one. And obviously... Um, like the stable coin thing was interesting to me when you started talking about stable coins. Again, the non-technical perspective is like, what is a Bitcoin stable coin? Because a stable coin is like a programmatic asset, right? Like a stable coin is, I'm not sure how that has a technical relationship to Bitcoin. And somebody in the comments, please educate me. I don't understand yeah, that. A good, I wonder if... I, I wonder, it's not an only ERC thing I can, 20 token like an yeah. Ethereum, right? Where it's like, I guess hey, he was saying when they build the layer twos or that there is like lightning or whatever, maybe there's already stable coins on lightning. I have no idea, but like you could that's get like- Bitcoin. That, that's Bitcoin. That's point. true. Yeah, it, that's true. And like I wonder an ERC if, 20 token built on Ethereum, USD, USDC, USDT, whatever. They'll all, some of the experiments will fail and there's, but the technology that Ethereum- you know, the Ethereum technology is what makes that possible. And I'm like, I'm struggling to what degree of technical integration does there need to be for someone to consider there, there's a Bitcoin stable coin. So somebody, anybody listen to this who doesn't like what we just said, please educate us in the comments. Comment what, in the YouTube below and let us know because we What we is don't the know. criteria to fulfill for a Bitcoin stable coin? And please explain it in good detail. Thank yeah, you that's, a good, Jack, that's a good question. Jack Dorsey, let us know, Jack. I know you're working on this at Block. I know Jack Dorsey's working on this. I'm sure this uh, is required listening at all the top, uh, you know, Bitcoin development firms in the world. Yeah. Wait, exactly. Um, quick. Uh, so let me rebut. Let me put on my Michael Saylor hat. Well, I have a Miami Heat hat. So Miami, Michael Saylor, there you go. Um, I think his rebuttal from his 15 hour what is money <laughs> lecture is that all the currencies that you mentioned, and, and, and again, you weren't defending them. You're saying what can drive the meme cycle fastest for adoption, right? 
I think his rebuttal would be, they've all collapsed. All of them have collapsed. Every one of these fiat currencies that we've talked about are ones that uh, are trying to driven uh, by um, via you know getting enough people to believe in it. They've all collapsed because humans just end up printing too much of it, right? Every civilization is the same, um, which is broadly true. So we'll see with the U.S. dollar, but uh, I hope the U.S. dollar still keeps kicking because I'm paid in USD. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think oh, you've man. got a little time, boys. Don't don't not investment advice, but I think you'll be all right for a bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the famous last but, words. Famous. <laughs> well, the other thing is like, the the other thing is uh, like the issuance schedule and the monetary policy and and like man. The like the questions around that are all incredibly valid. I think that's like again, from the perspective of somebody that's done ten thousand hours of research, that's a valid question. The only question somebody that hasn't and the expectation that everybody's going to do ten thousand hours of research about money, we have proven over however many thousand years of human civilization that people are not interested in doing that research, even having lived through. Currency collapse, failed empires. Like it is not common knowledge. In the same way that throwing something out of the window is going to break is common knowledge. So I don't know. Maybe there needs to be an event of a significant enough catastrophic level where this is like human instinct. You know, monetary policy and understanding the nuance of monetary policy becomes something that's incredibly important. Something that everybody learns. My instinct is it's not going to be the case because. I don't know. Maybe like, I don't know. Maybe there, there's just uh, the, there's like a really strong cognitive dissonance for a lot of people to even think about money. And I, again, yeah. like that comes from the like the perspective where you have more than you need is where you can like pontificate about how everything works. So, but have you guys seen those viral TikToks or Instagram reels or whatever where they'll go up to people in the street and be like, "I'll give you one Bitcoin." Or a hundred dollars, and then like, right. yeah. I mean, obviously it's the editing as well. But yeah, they're like, yeah, 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 they're like a bitcoin. Who wants a bitcoin? <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I'll take a hundred dollars, thank you. And then they're like, you sure? Uh, Bitcoin's worth twenty thousand dollars or forty thousand at the time. And they're like, uh, no, I don't really believe in all that. And it's like, you know, that's the sort of thing where literally it's one of those prank channels the, where they were gonna give you a bitcoin. Like, it's like the majority the, of the world thinks that way, right? It's something to think about, which is why. Uh, back to jack's point about the adoptability of something like what creates the stronger meme and if you're just and and, and Bilal touched on with Bilal, if you're just maxing around <laughs> yelling at people that don't get it and uh if you're you know it's just not gonna work but uh i hope they uh i hope they get around to it because we also hold on <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Also, no, yeah, go on, go on. I was just going to say the other thing that a lot of this stuff, we've talked about this below on like five episodes, five hours of Creator Lab is like, this stuff is like, it, it's good to know, it's good to think about, but it's also like, it really misses or it allows you to like pass over the entire idea of why we need money in the first place, like the exchange of goods and services and like the incentive system that exists uh, below money. And, uh, it's, it's also like an interesting place to hide when, uh, 
Yeah, I think that's why it's appealing to so many people too. It's like people feel like they've gotten a raw deal. And in many cases, people have, right? There's a lot of 10,000 charts you can point to that talks about purchasing power and devaluation of currency and blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's also like, there are lots of things that have to happen outside of this monetary system for your for you to flourish as a person, as a family, as a nation, as a this and that. And uh, yeah, there's there's just a lot more nuance to it than like sell your house and buy Bitcoin and everything's going to be fine, you know? Yeah, definitely. All right, boys, I think we can uh, move on to the next topic here just to keep us on track. I'm going to do a quick mini meme of the week. It's kind of a meme. It's, well, everything's a meme. So uh, it's going to tie us into the next part of the show can you guys see that this is a t-shirt i definitely need one of these it is a t-shirt that says three arrows capital risk management department 2022 boys what has been going on there's been some leaked docs apparently and uh for people who don't know well let's explain what what what's been going on i have uh, the thread up from uh, jack nywald uh we'll put in the show notes so there's been a lot of uh, effery in the crypto space as we all well know a couple bankruptcies uh, in crypto banks, Celsius, uh, Voyager, which is publicly listed in Canada. I actually know a couple of guys that funded that. Um, Three Arrows Capital is a hedge fund. Uh, according to Jack, it once had $10 billion of assets under management. Uh, the founders, uh, as some people may have seen, have gone off the grid. And here is the headline. Founders use some of the money they borrowed for their hedge fund to buy a yacht before they paid off creditors. So this all came out from leaked documents, a 1,000-page leaked document. And the founders were uh, Suju and Kyle Davies. You've probably seen them on Twitter if you're deep in cryptosphere. They're quite active. So I'd like to talk about this in two parts. Talk about what they were involved in and a more macro 50,000 foot thing that we could talk about, about how DeFi, you know, we, we swapped messages around, has kind of quote unquote survived, you know, this latest sequence of these blowups. And um, it's kind of getting a bad rap in the sense, this wasn't necessarily a crypto specific issue of a $10 billion hedge fund, basically taking money, investing it poorly, and then disappearing. It's like just financial shenanigans, right? But there is a sheen of, the crypto uh, opacity and uh, and the fact that there's no regulation around all of any of it. So, well, let me throw it out here. What have you, outside from the $10 billion that uh, this fund once had and the $3 billion that they owe creditors, they owe 20 creditors, including uh, uh, Genesis, is the largest creditor, which is the people that run GBTC, the, the, uh, the, <laughs> the Bitcoin trust. So that... Genesis gave $2.8 billion to these guys, and it looks like they have to write it down to zero, which is insane. And I was like, I got some GBTC. I'm like, ooh, what, what's that going to do to GBTC? But uh, other than that, before we get into the thick of it and then how this blew up Celsius and Voyager, what do you guys, what were your thoughts when this was happening? Was it, to, in your mind, crypto fuckery, or was it just like, oh, these just look like bad actors? I think, yeah, I think it's people just getting ahead of themselves, thinking they're smarter than they are. And yeah. the, the like, no due diligence in uh, on the on the lender side either. Like, 
what right. strategy were they presented where it's like, yeah, we'll give you $3 billion. Like what, the f- what did somebody tell them? Like you, you have some culpability in that too. Like I know people, there are, you know, fraud and the like removal of somebody's resources from them through lying, false claims, whatever else is, uh, there's a fine line between, audacity and fraud, right? We've talked about this in the context of a bunch of different things on, on the we show work before. There the we work, dude. Exactly. Yeah. And this is like weirdly a version of that, but less so because you're operating in the same system. It's like these crypto, like these behemoth crypto funds that you would think would know the ecosystem inside and out are like, oh yeah, these guys must be able to get like five, six, seven, eight X return on us yeah. because like, the guy's being a prick on Twitter and like getting a a bunch of (laughs) likes on his tweets, you know, like that's literally the due diligence people are doing. It's like, Oh, he's calling loads of people poor on Twitter. So he must be, you know, he must be smart and and, like have a really good investment strategy. And then you find out emperor's got no clothes. Tide goes out. It's all like, man, there's, I think a lot of people get lucky on a couple of things. And this is another maybe it's a Navalism. It's like you have a few lucky runs and then you think you're like, you know, you get on the like pre-mine of Ethereum and then you get into a couple projects and they go 3000 X. And then you're like, man, I must be the best capital allocator in the world. It's like, yeah. No, and that was everyone not. with a Robin account, including myself. So I'm not saying I'm any different. In 2020, right? In the last 10 years, to be honest, everything we're looking at, we're like, oh, yeah. well, e-commerce is going to grow. Let me buy <laughs> Shopify stock five years later. Oh, wow. I'm such a genius. You know, you like, are Bilal. You are you know, you know enough to hurt yourself. <laughs> hurt yourself, We've, exactly. Yeah. No, Jack, I love your explanation because if you look at the, uh, the quote tweets on Jack's... Uh, uh, thread and just like anytime anybody's talked about this 3C thing, even uh, even our uh, Brett Harrison, the FTX uh, founder, let me uh, or no, the, the, the president, the president, president. F- yeah, of FTX US, who we had on the pod, he even made a uh, a meme about the situation. Let me pull this up. So and and the meme is very consistent with Jack's kind of uh, idea that there was zero due diligence on uh, 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 in the side of the lenders Celsius. Um, uh, Voyager and uh, and and Genesis. So I'll wait till that pulls up. But Jack, I think you're 100 percent correct. That's literally what happened. They're like, and they and they nothing they did was sophisticated. So Arthur Hayes, who we did the meme on the meme of the week, obviously he's known as Crypto Hayes, has himself a bit of a uh, uh, sordid history in the crypto industry, but also <laughs> is one of the smartest commentators. Uh, here no, is his newsletter is, is definitely worth a read. Dude, look at this. Look at Brett Harrison. Three AC founders, Incredible. investors, creditors, and spouses. <laughs> He's got the Spider-Man thing where everybody's pointing at each other. They're all the same, right? It's like <laughs> nobody did any due diligence on this. So actually, uh, and FTX was caught up in this too because they they had invested, I believe, in, I can't remember if it's Celsius or Voyager, but uh, they also gave a line of credit to one of those banks to try to save it because FTX, they need the crypto industry to thrive, obviously. So it's in their interest to keep, you know, if they, they're, I'm imagining they're doing more due diligence, even though they, I think they got zeroed on one of those investments. But back to Jack's point, this was not a complicated scheme that these people got caught up in. Well, Trump, was, remember Bernie Madoff had a Bank of America account. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good uh, it was analogy. $5 billion, right? He had yeah, five. Yeah. No, exactly. 
I'm not I'm not saying that the three AC guys were running a Ponzi, but what they were doing was they identified something that was what well the thing that blew them up was Terra uh Terra Luna. So uh Arthur Hayes in a piece uh, two, three weeks ago was wrote about it. It's like it was not a complicated trade. It was just uh, as Bilal knows, uh, or not Bilal, but Bilal, you had some money in Anchor, right? The Anchor Protocol. No, I, I actually didn't, but I had it on my list for a long time to try, and it, the, okay. the friction was so much that I thankfully didn't. But otherwise, yeah, I would definitely. Okay, would I'm, not, I'm not well. trying to throw. I'm not trying to throw you under the no, bus. No, but good, yeah. <laughs> let's revisit the Terra Luna thing. They had so uh, Terra Luna, uh, run by Do Kwan, uh the founder. They Talking were, of people who who say yeah. you're poor to people on the internet. Exactly. Exactly. Right? I might be conflating some of those, but I know they all have yeah. like personalities that are, are less than you know, down the middle. So the, exactly. He tried. Uh, Do Kwan famously tried to bootstrap an algorithmic stable coin, but as we discussed, and has been <laughs> listen to that and, sentence. For fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, that's man. right. <laughs> Exactly, it's true. <laughs> Bootstrap and algorithm stable. We've we've got so used to all these words that you forget well, how crazy it all well, sounds. Sure, it is right. But the trade was pretty simple. So the UST was uh, the Terra ecosystem stablecoin, and basically to drive people into the ecosystem, they gave this incentive in a uh, in a lending protocol called Anchor. They promised 20%. people twenty percent, twenty percent, right? As we discussed in our episode talking about Terra. You can think about it as a marketing expense, right? And uh, and it worked clearly to a degree. Uh, I believe the market cap for UST stablecoin got a oh, market cap's the wrong word, but it got up to forty billion dollars. But the point was, three AC, three Arrows Capital saw that this was one of the greatest trades ever because it was a pure Ponzi trade. They, everybody in the ecosystem knew it. These smart uh, uh, and uh, analytics people were like, "This is not going to work," right? The mechanism of UST stablecoin was made to be attacked and for the peg to break, which is what happened. But anyways, these guys at 3AC, I think to Jack's point, the reason people really give them money, they're showing these returns. And it's just because they're getting, they're getting this 20% uh, from, uh, from Terra, from Terra UST, but they're levering up. They're borrowing money. This is where it gets a little bit shady though. They may have been lying to creditors about the state and the type of investments they did. Okay, so that's to what Jack was saying earlier about the due diligence. Like they could have maybe yeah. done due diligence and they just broke the, you know, their promise essentially. Yes, that could exactly. be. We don't know if that's the case. Well, and the, the parallel in normal tr- finance, trad finance, or traditional finance, as it is called, is Bill Huang. Bill Huang from Arcago's yeah. Capital. Yeah. Uh, Bill Huang was doing some uh, similar things in the equities world, where he was borrowing money from lenders and not exposing his entire position to them. And he was able to do that because of a financial instrument called a, 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 a total equity return swap. We don't have to get into that. But see a fake fan coming through. Yeah, Love it. <laughs> the reason I bring all that up is that there's two parts to this story. There's just the jack part that identifies just pure greed, lack of due diligence, no risk management. This is not specific to crypto. The crypto part is that the thing that blew this up was a Terra UST, was the trigger. And it was why uh, the two guys at 3AC were confident enough to kind of go out there and be like, yeah, we can just make it happen, guys. It's because they saw this essentially Ponzi offering out there and they levered it to the moon. But as we all know, when you lever something up, it can juice returns on the way up. But when it unravels, it's game over, right? And that's why it took out Celsius. That's why it took out Voyager. Uh, Genesis sounds like they have enough money, more than enough to pay for, but 
they're taking a $2.8 billion hit. So uh, Jack's thread, the last thing I'll just talk about here is this is where they could be legally uh, liable and where crimes could have been committed, potentially, allegedly. Uh, lying about the extent of losses to lenders, lying about leverage and directional market exposure, the movement of the funds, and not disclosing their liquidations to shareholders and creditors. This last one is actually where the yacht comes in. So when Terra UST blew up, a lot of people in the crypto uh, uh, investing space were like, oh, we think 3AC might be very exposed. 3AC said, no, we're good. Uh, our, risk, our risk management is fully under control here. And... Um, the last thing I will add is this. So Crypto Hayes made a point, which I've seen people rebut, but I'll give his point. Then I'll throw it to you guys and I'll give the rebuttal. His point is this. All the DeFi lending protocols involved in, the, in all these blowups, like uh, Maker, Aave, Compound, they liquidated as soon as like, you know, the metrics were hit. It's like, okay. Because it's what a is smart a- contract. It's a smart contract, right? So they're yeah. basically saying, okay, the borrower, if they hit whatever, let's give it an arbitrary metric. Like if uh, if their ETH hits below a certain level or ETH, the price of ETH hits level, they're liquidated. No question, right? So the crypto haze writes, all the major DeFi lending protocols, some most of which I mentioned, they survived. The protocols didn't have to halt withdrawals. The protocols continued to issue loans even after the fuckery happened. And uh, they had to cut some people off. And the protocols did not suffer any downtime. The protocols did what was required of them. And uh, when we talked about with, with John Wu when he's here, some of these protocols, what makes them inefficient is they require a lot of collateral, right? That's how they work. Like Maker, if you want to mint uh, a die, I believe, it's like you have to put two Bitcoin to get one or something equivalent, right? So the protocols work. And Crypto Hayes' entire point is like, this is just opaque uh, reputational stuff. It's like what Jack said. These 3AC guys are out there raising money off their reputation. <laughs> Shit talking on Twitter and even just getting a lot of money because they had a lot of money. It's like, if you had money to deploy, who'd you give it to? It's like, oh, 3AC, these guys, uh, these guys are running a $10 billion fund. They could easily take your billion, right? Like that was literally the level of due diligence. So Crypto yeah, Hayes said, go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say, just like to add on to the behavioral stuff, like in the middle of the red hot NFT market, like they were getting involved there too. So like buying pieces at crazy valuations, another like, oh, this is going in the three act. This is three AC? Three AC was buying Oh yeah. Well, that's right. They got like a real, like incredible blue chip NFT collection, just, you know, and it's like, you know, that's just someone in an office somewhere, like banging on MetaMask and be like, (laughs) bang, 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 let's go. Like, I don't think that's going in a strategy presentation anywhere. Yeah. Like, it's just, it just, yeah, I think people just, uh, we, You're right. we Those are gonna all be experience at yeah, it's tiny level. Yeah, they're going to go to auction somewhere, somehow, or lost forever. I don't know. It depends how well they uh, uh, custody them, right? Like, you don't even know if they're accessible at this point. It could be lost yep. forever. Well, uh, let, me, let me leave the last you, line there. I, I just want to say one more thing, yeah. Trung, about like, protocol, like, that that distinction is really important and interesting in like the DeFi frame where it's like, if the rules are written well, like if the code, if everybody agrees upon the rules within the system and it does not need a person to function, there's a piece that we need to put in the link, a guy called Jacob Horn who runs a, um, or co-founded a protocol called Zora, which is based on NFTs. 
he calls these things hyperstructures, which is like you deploy this thing and it just runs forever. It's on the blockchain. It's on the Ethereum blockchain in this case. And the rules in which are embedded in its inception cannot be broken. And because it's a system that's been well-designed, like the idea that, you know, under collateralizing something or like the idea that like an algorithm or this or that is like an ability to make up for human idiocy at scale is like, it's just <laughs> such a ridiculous like wing and a prayer, right? It's like, but everybody really wants to believe it. You really want to believe like, oh, I can get 20% return on my capital risk-free. That sounds sick. And a lot of people, well, a lot of sophisticated looking- people signed up for that shit. Yeah, and when you're looking at the uh, trunks, laughing because he's looking at me. But no, <laughs> no. Um, the the thing is, that especially in that crazy time where twenty percent was like conservative, right? Like five percent, six percent staking ETH was conservative. I know. I know. You could. And you were doing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'll go. No, no, that, I, I was just saying there were people obviously getting hundreds and thousands of percent, which obviously is ridiculous. Like I knew that from the beginning. I will say, I mean, we talked about this on the pod many times, that kind of like series of questions that I always ask when I would look at these things. It was like, where's the money coming from? Is it just them printing tokens of a token that is going to be worthless because there's you know unlimited tokens being printed or is there is it a marketing expense like you said is it like a bonus for being early which is the case sometimes right um so it just comes down to like that's even very basic due diligence and i don't do this for a living right so i, I and uh luckily yeah i mean I wasn't an anchor probably by by chance and luck in this case, uh, but like when we did that episode, I know multiple people yeah. who had millions of dollars in it, and also I mean massive like what's his name Mike Novogratz. My man has the tattoo <laughs> on his side forever. Say yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think that's, that's the that's the thing too is like you assume that these people are like that's your due diligence. Your due diligence is like people who have dedicated thirty years of their life studying this infrastructure have made a colossal bet on their reputation, their firm, their funds, everything. And like, man, they're way more sophisticated than me. So I better jump in on that. And the irony is like the heat that like NFTs get versus that is in my mind, bizarre, like Pokemon cards in the playground is more of a legitimate, like uh, (laughs) commercial venture than three arrows capital. You know, like <laughs> someone no, clipped that one, mate. Someone clipped that. <laughs> I got this Charizard. I got, I picked it out of a packet and you know, there's only X number of them in the world. There's no other one in the school. Who's got the most pocket money. That's it. And then the next person has to hold on to that till someone saves up enough to uh, take that off them again. And I think like all of this stuff is like obfuscation and having a marketing background, I think lets you see this in a bit of a different way where it's like, people raise money off pitch decks. This happens every day. Thousands and thousands of people have like conjured up the image of something that doesn't exist to take money off somebody else to try and build it. Like this is capitalism 101. And like when markets run in red hot and people are paying $10 million for a picture of a monkey, everyone's like, oh, you know, 30% sounds pretty reasonable. 80% sounds pretty reasonable. And it was like, we just blew so far past like now I think Michael Saylor's laws of physics come into play a little bit here where it's like the accounts must be um, balanced at a certain point and they happen very, very violently 
in a short period of time, that was just a huge domino effect. And if like, if the DeFi infrastructure that you talked about didn't exist, I think it would take way longer for the, even the crypto meme to begin to recover and NFTs, I think help keep that boat afloat a little bit. Like there's still a bunch of stuff that still functions. All the exchanges still work, blah, blah, blah. It's not like this is just individuals that took on too much risk and like you committed potentially allegedly, you know, uh, fraud or like fraud. something fraud. of that nature. Yeah. If it's, yeah. And, and it, what I was just going to say, boys, I mean, the parallel I would, draw here is like you were talking about smart people lots of money money under management you know I, I i don't know if these people went into this thinking oh we're gonna like fraud out a bunch of people they probably you know are legit people in their own way but that things turned for the worse at some point i mean we've lived through layman brothers bear stearns etc yeah. in 2008 or whenever 2007 i forgot um and like that all collapsed right um you know one of the biggest banks in the world collapsed uh, based on not exactly the same thing but people essentially getting ahead of themselves right like a, a broken asset uh, in that case it was these stupid mortgages right and like building on top of it on top of it and then when things come down everything collapses so I do understand you know why for a long time the criticism for people who don't know enough about all the nuance of crypto have said oh it just seems like a pyramid scheme it seems like uh this you know, is something. not specific right that exactly, 100 exactly. and i think to trying to your point earlier that uh, arthur hayes talked about um what was it about uh essentially DeFi? those major blue chip platforms anyway Aave, compound etc they've actually you know stood the test here and they've actually performed as designed which is actually a very positive thing which maybe has gone kind of underreported all right who's got this meme up who's this trunk or jack so i pulled the margin call meme up here you know where kevin spacey's in the boardroom and he goes you're selling something you know has no value like this is the day before they realize the risk exposure they have and those like shit's gonna hit the fan the guy responds we are selling to willing buyers at the current fair market price <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think this is like, uh, to the point about the protocols and the things that have been built that actually enable new things to happen, they are inherently valuable, but they don't have the like, they're not memeable. There's no meme in that thing. There's not like a face on that that's like making outrageous comments on Twitter and calling people idiots and, you know. Yeah. There's like, I don't know. I think we try, we try and escape that stuff and, and talk about the idea of like crypto being immune to manipulation, but everything is a transaction between people at a certain point. And then like the, you know, the network effects, the meme, the meme spreading is just, uh, I think just creates volatility in every direction in markets, in, in relationships, in all of these different, uh, it's just very, very, was it, were we talking about, Oh no, that's, that's the Balaji thing. Like make a constant a variable. Do you remember? was that on Tim Ferriss. Yeah. 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 He's talking about, uh, yeah. He was talking about how, uh, if I remember correctly, like two things that before were like, binary and now yes. you know there's like a sliding scale i think he used like i mean i don't, I don't want to bring up this kind of worms but uh like gender 20 years ago or 30 years yeah, ago yeah, was yeah. more binary and now there's more sliding scale or whatever and he used a few other examples like that as well 
Yeah. And I think people who are like of age to be gambling in crypto or to, you know, be allocating capital in crypto probably grew up nice in a world you brand where those, there, mate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah those, those guys, the ironic thing is this is probably one of the most sound investments in the whole portfolio the entire terra luna okay hold on for the listeners for the because listeners people listening gone jack there's a tweet uh, of an nft from jack nywald who we talked about the thread and this goes to everything that jack and Bilal just talked about specifically jack talking about how the investment team at 3ac was literally just some dude on a mask clicking a screen <laughs> the image on this screen is of an nft of crypto <laughs> sorry it's so good <laughs> crypto dick butt 1462 estimated value 1400 but you know so jack wasn't even joking earlier jack said there's somebody on the 3ac three arrows capital investment team just hitting random buns on metamask there's proof of that. Probably There's listening to this podcast. Probably listening Probably to this listening. podcast right now. But you know what's crazy is that specific NFT now is going to be worth 50 times what it was because of its involvement in this. Oh, 100%. Oh Imagine owning the one. Oh, my God. That's we're, so true. We're so early. We're so early, boys. We're so, this so is a real, early. The meta strategy is buying distressed assets that are caught up in uh, these big... <laughs> Fraudulent blow up, so keep your eye out for those. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, real no, estate Jack, on you auction. Need to tease that out. You buy fraudulent NFTs from big high profile hedge funds. Well, no, the, the NFTs aren't fraudulent. The okay. NFTs that are caught up in these fraudulent behaviors and therefore get memed into. It's like buying something from a Silk Road. If there were NFTs on a Silk Road back right. in the day, if you could put that up on your digital wall frame or whatever, somebody's going to buy that thing. For sure. I oh, mean, yeah. all of those things are probably. Interesting. It'd be interesting to see because if they do auction them off, it'll be interesting to come back and see like, did they make like market premium? Because in a, like in a non-digital market, it wouldn't be as interesting, right? It's because like having that and being able to flex that you bought that on Twitter, like I've got the three the three act crypto dick butt is like a claim to fame. And <laughs> well, add that to the lines we never thought we'd hear in a in a podcast ever. Well, that, that one's right. That one's right behind. Uh, Bootstrapping an algorithmic stablecoin <laughs> yeah, yeah. said with a completely straight face, yeah. assuming everyone on this uh, <laughs> listener right. that killed me. Right. And that's, yeah. So I think that's the amazing contrast that we can tease out here is like the crypto dick butt project ended up being a much stronger store of value than the out, the bootstrapped algorithmic stablecoin that the most sophisticated investors in the world invested in. And everybody laughed at. The former said from Jack said in a room bought by many of those NFTs. As yeah, well. exactly, exactly. Uh, exactly. Not yeah, investment think, advice, but yeah, man, we, like we couldn't have gotten into this with Sailor because we wouldn't have got the time. But um, there's a couple of amazing threads that people have written recently, and they just sound like complete crackpot theories, right? They sound nuts, but it's like this is how you can see how unique things absorb value because we collectively assign attention to these things and they just hold relevance for such a long time that there's a version of there's a version of the world that i can see playing out where it's like a huge amount of capital and attention i mean it already is the case with um 
non-networked are, right? People who have obscene sums of money by Monet's and all of these other things. And now you have like things that are truly integrated in culture in real time um, that become relevant that, man, it's, it's an interesting time to be alive, boys. But uh, yeah, you definitely it, might get it, a bit it, more interesting. It's, it's all good, like burning the, for, the floor of the forest. I think all of these things are like, you know, you, you clear out the, the junk and then you get back and we'll have another... We'll have some more idiocy to talk about, I'm sure, in a few weeks. It's not going to yeah. stop. <laughs> that's, uh, that's exactly what Crypto Hayes says. If you look at this in the long view, the uh, again, not saying his word is the Bible, but interesting thinker on it. And uh, the last line he had in his uh, uh, essay about 3AC was, when you remove, when you remove trust from the equation and rely purely on transparent lending standards executed by impartial computer code, you get a better outcome. This is the lesson to be learned, he says, from this entire experience. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And yeah, I think greed was never going away. And like persuasion is never going away. So there's, that's what these Crypto are. The, dick butt 1429 is never going away. Correct. Correct. <laughs> oh SVG, boy. It's a SVG image data stored on chain boys so short there of an asteroid go. hitting earth that shit <laughs> is here forever oh boy for the new people here you gotta go back to listen to some of these old ones to get all these references unfortunately but- most of the new people listening are probably bitcoin enthusiasts they're probably not too impressed by the diagnosis that's true um all right talking- they got to the mention of dick butts yeah but Good yeah, stuff. let's let's get on to the next uh, topic then. So that's the edge of the internet stuff out the way, boys. Let's get on to some tech. We've got a couple big tech things going on. Uh, we're going to talk about TikTok, Instagram eating into Google search and Amazon private label. If we get to that in a second, we'll we got some more stuff coming. So this is a just very quick thing that you guys might have seen. Uh, I'll read this tweet out from someone who said almost forty percent of young people. When, you're, when they're looking for a place for lunch, don't go to Google Maps or search. They go to TikTok or Instagram. And this was a quote from SVP of Google. I have confirmation from a few people that I've spoken to at Google to dig into this a little bit more that this is like a very big thing within the company that they are looking at. Uh, you know, like when I was there 2010 to 2017, early on, they're like, Bing is trying to take up some of our share. And then later it was like Amazon and then it was Facebook, obviously. Um, and interestingly, with TikTok, you wouldn't necessarily straight away think about it being a direct competitor to search, but it really is. And uh, so we're going to talk about like visual search in a second um, and why people are using that. But also, if you think about YouTube specifically, like, you know how bullish all of us are especially me on YouTube. And I've talked a lot about YouTube being the second largest search, in, search engine in the world. And um, and I even caught myself doing this a few days ago. I, like, I've got a bit of a bad knee right now playing tennis. And I, I went on YouTube and typed in like, how to check my knee, whatever. And I looked at the numbers, it was like four minutes, 15 minutes, 12 minutes. I was like, I don't, I want the one minute. <laughs> version with a with a little tune playing in the background yeah. to keep it <laughs> yeah. snappy and i went on tiktok and honestly like i found three four results that were probably as good if not better than youtube in that case what um, do you think about then, youtube shorts below i mean i think they're all right well you mean as someone as a consumer like someone watching them or as someone who or has like a YouTube th- channel? them going head to head with tiktok i'm curious oh like- 
I think it's hard to go. I mean, I think similar to Reels on Instagram, they're getting kind of like artificially pumped a bit more right now because they're trying to ca- play catch up on TikTok. Um, I think it's good to have like for the consumer, like clearly there's already people using vertical video with these short things, but really people are just creating TikToks and putting them as YouTube shorts and and Instagram reels most of the time anyway. You even see it says like they've downloaded it from a TikTok. I I, I don't know much more about it. I think they're interesting. Like I, I used to be very against vertical video for a long time. Like I was like, why are people creating vertical videos and whatever? But now like I've seen some creators like really making some cool content. It just looks natively beautiful on the screen and they've made it for mobile. So I'd say for that reason, maybe there'll be people that come up with interesting stuff around that. I, I just see it kind of how, uh, you know, Instagram copied Snapchat with stories like now and now they copy them with reels. Shorts feel very similar to both of shorts and reels and the, feel very similar to TikTok. I guess the I guess the one closer parallel they have is the search engine DNA though, right? Versus mean, like yeah. Instagram or Snapchat as a resource to find instructions or like some yeah, that you mean like they've me just like got this closer. big database, like people are already going to that Like YouTube that can feed you the content you're looking better than Instagram. Yeah, it feels like they have yeah. like a better shot than the, like Instagram just totally. feels like, man, this is not, this is, you don't have the like behavioral thing. Like people are like- For search, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's what's interesting though is for certain types of searches, they're finding young people are doing it. So the ones that are really standing out is obviously visual mm. search. So it's not like Google Lens or whatever where you're using your camera to find something. It's you're like I've seen people do this where they're traveling and they're like, okay, where do I want to visit in you know Mexico City? I'm going to go to the tag uh, for places on Mexico City. And uh. I don't do this that much, but a lot of people do and a lot of younger people especially, they're natively like, oh yeah, of course I go to the tag and I'm going to see the top top videos, the top restaurants and the things that look cool to me. We're instead of old, seeing. Boys. Yeah, we are getting old, for sure. <laughs> it, it's crazy, though. TikTok is just, I mean, they're eating everyone's lunch, right? And, and like, uh, yeah. Well, I want to say that Meta, so Zuckerberg, uh, to your point about Reels, uh, Bilal, he literally pivoted the entire company to Reels. It's like Reels first. It's when you make an Instagram video, it's going to kind of go Reels first. It's, they're, it's, they're feeding into the Facebook news feed. And it's actually insane because he's taking facebook away from its social graph like the entire basis of their business and zuckerberg we've talked in the past about how you need like this founder energy to pivot an entire company but he made the announcement he's like yeah we're becoming a recommendation first company we're relying on an ml algo which if you actually think about it is insane because they built nearly a trillion dollar business on the on social, social graph. graph and now it's transitioned to like interest and now they're graph, just like, right? network yeah. state it's a network state boys you're no longer like paired up with the people you grow up next to yeah. or like it's that's way good, more. You're paired yeah. up with you, interest. Like, if you think of Facebook, that's a really good uh, like frame for it. Like if you think of Facebook, literally started with networks of university, college students and schools, all right? And then it went to like, oh, now I'm going to add everyone I know from my hometown, even though I've moved to somewhere. But yeah, like, yeah. oh, people the, like me. Gemma yeah, yeah. had a baby. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice, cute yeah. baby, whatever. And then it's like, <laughs> a parents come on it. And then you're like, oh, man, now I can't post the same stuff that I posted at university or whatever. Then there's a cool thing, Instagram. And then you go from half friends to half interests and influencers and brands, basically. And now you've gone straight up to TikTok, which is 
I don't even see half the people I follow. It's just a, it's the for you page. It's like what's good today. I do not today? use TikTok. I'm a, no, I, I am so legitimately good. afraid of it. I I am so addicted to so many things already. I just cannot add <laughs> another 45 minutes. But I want to I want to throw one thing out there while you guys were talking about whether or not reels or uh, shorts can compete. So I agree with Jack that the YouTube angle, the YouTube search angle is huge for uh, shorts, right? Like they have that in their DNA. They can feed people what they want. But the main thing that people really need to understand about TikTok is the way it's built. This is the reason why it's so good and uh, why it's the perfect uh, recommendation algo and why reels and, uh, and shorts may struggle. So for the listeners, I'm going to describe two mobile phone screens. On the left is Twitter and on the right is TikTok's for you page uh, or just a video, right? So you guys talked about it. Let's talk about TikTok's, uh, how it feeds you content. So this is all, um, the philosophy is explained by Eugene Wei, product manager, former uh, early employee at Hulu, Amazon, really smart dude. Uh, he's saying, if you look at TikTok, blah, what do you see on a TikTok screen? You get one video, right? You get a single video. Yeah, I think it's like there's basically at the top, there's for you page and then following yeah. or something. No, but, and then, then, but, but there's no, just the one piece video. Of content. Yeah. So it's you get a single, single piece of content. Yeah. So what does that do? Eugene says that it's an algor algorithmic friendly design. So if you're developing an algorithm, you would want as many signals as possible that are high value, right? So in a TikTok video, if you want to know whether or not somebody likes that content, you know that they're only looking at that one thing. Right? Oh, that's a good, that's right? a great that's point. Smart. Yeah, I never thought. Because so on the left-hand side, doing... there's two, three pieces of content. Well, yeah. If someone went off the app, mm. you're like, did they not like the first tweet or did they not exactly. like the second tweet? Did they not like the things at the top or, you so, know, all the So I was talking ad. about the Twitter feed here for the listeners. So on a, when you're looking at Twitter, it's not a single piece of content, right? There's probably three or four tweets at one time. And like, you can indicate your interest by liking, retweeting, and commenting. But it's just not suit. Not everything there is a high signal. Like if you're, are you scrolling fast or you're scrolling slow? Like that's probably not built into the Twitter recommendation uh, uh, algorithm as tightly and as smartly as it is for TikTok. Whereas every single thing on TikTok is what is a song? How long are you watching it? Where are your eyes looking? They can freaking track your eye movements. Uh, commenting, liking, it's one hundred percent on that single piece of content. So you're training the algorithm for TikTok perfectly, right? So this is, the reason I bring this up is you guys are talking about, is it copyable, X, Y, Z? The reality is that like TikTok's like algorithm, it is very ingeniously built. It is copyable. But Instagram is a monstrosity. It's a Frankenstein. Every hey. time Facebook's want to launch a new thing, they just jam it into Instagram, right? Yeah, they recently, uh, they, I think they shipped an update that, like locks the content in the screen in okay. the screen on each oh that's like up. on there reels though go. i think or when you're watching yeah. like a vertical no, on, video on tiles on image tiles maybe it's oh, only really? rolled out to some people but i've seen it it's like uh, they're upping they need to up the record game yeah they're trying to exactly get that that's interesting going. and the reels like i mean there's good there's good stuff on those reels. like i'm the same as you try i'm like the stuff is just like sucking my brain in yeah. Uh, yeah, but i yeah. need to learn how to produce some of that stuff i would say like, that honestly killing, just, instagram's killing me right now boys and for what you guys do especially like uh, for what we all do but especially like what you guys do i was like that for ages on tiktok where i was like oh, i can't have another thing i'm sucked into but i just had to kind of give in and be like no, let me just 
authentically like, be like, what do I actually find more interesting? And then once I start, once I start using it, I, it definitely is taking time away from where I would spend time on YouTube. I still list, watch YouTube a lot, but it's definitely taking time from there and Instagram. And uh, honestly, it's just like, the mood of it is generally pretty fun. It's like upbeat. So you leave feeling mostly good. Whereas like on Twitter, I used to oh, love, yeah. love Twitter. Horrible. But like during the pandemic, I liked it. But now I'm like, oh, half the stuff is these annoying threads, which are like, there are 7 billion people in the world. This is how to, but they don't breathe air very well. And like, <laughs> this is how you should breathe. Seven things. And I'm like, what, how? Like, I get why they're getting shared, but like, I don't want that on my feed. It's like very poor content, yeah, so. Let me actually show you something to Bilal's point. I, I, love the, I love the explanation there, but this also speaks to why Twitter is such an underperforming ad platform. So this is from Ben Thompson's newsletter that we always talk about, but I love this meme so much. Yeah. So for the listeners, it's that uh, meme of a guy that's playing a video game. Uh, it's him relaxed and then him, like, you know, when you lean forward playing the game, you're getting serious, you're trying to win. But his whole point is, when you're on Instagram and TikTok, you're just, you're enjoying life, right? It's like Bilal said, it's enjoyable. When you're on Twitter, you're waiting to get triggered. You're waiting for somebody to offend you, right? Like, you're waiting for somebody to say something stupid so you can pounce on it, so you're leaning in. It's a really intense experience. It's not like, like, I'm not trying to buy a DTC product when I'm arguing about somebody about politics, <laughs> right? So, yeah. I think uh, I think that was a really smart thing that he he, he explained about mm. why these ad platforms are so different. And TikTok well, is a monster. On. Twelve billion dollars a year already. I, I mean, I got an interesting anecdotal thing. Like because visualized value is a like primarily education products. Twitter is by far the highest converting um, platform, but. Doing stuff on Instagram, like you're right, like the the minds, the the mentality of people like casually scrolling lends itself way better to like, oh, that's a cool hat. I want to buy that hat, right? It's not like, hey, I, let me think about my future and how I want to invest in my education and purchase this thing. Like they'll skip over that. So it is interesting that you're on the same screen, but the environment and the context is just, even if you're putting the same content on the different platforms, it's like what you're wedged between is so different that, that's, a, uh, that it's like why you're you going to it. the app in the first place right and also it comes down to like the motivation for following your account like on instagram it's normally like someone probably shared it on a story or they or like you know in the dms of like oh this is a cool thing or whatever and they're like oh that's cool i'm going to just add that to my i'm going to follow that and it's the visuals are like really cool whereas on twitter i feel like people have almost got to know you more as well also the the audience that is really active on Twitter that you're, you know, I've got a big following in are like early adopter tech types, which is not like when you go into Twitter and you're one of those people, you are someone who's generally like, you know, trying to learn something. You're like interested in the latest, what's going on in, in the industry, whatever. Um, whereas if you are, let's say a political pundit, right? Like that also thrives on Twitter and Instagram in its own way. Um, but there's a different motivation for someone following you. You know what I mean? And I was going to say the TikTok thing, just to close it out. Obviously, my opinion of Twitter and how happy... Oh, sorry, uh, TikTok and the kind of feeling I get on there is based on my feed. So I'm assuming a lot of people's is similar and just like reading about it. But I'm sure, you know, it's kind of grown so much that there are people 
like that I had to kind of like hide where I'm like I don't want this negativity on my feed right now it's too much I already get enough of that everywhere else but it's like people you know basically essentially like complaining or like you know talking about stuff that's going on in the world and I'm like man I don't I don't need this right now but for someone else that's what they like and they're like double clicking on it and then they get more of that stuff and they might have a completely different opinion because TikTok is showing them a bunch of those things I don't know if that's true but I'm assuming you know they're just getting more of what they like so what I like is pretty positive stuff stuff that's funny and interesting um, stuff like that and I'm getting more of that but so it's kind of a reflection of who you are as well without getting too deep if you you kind of attract like what you want if you follow who you follow if you're following New York Times and like uh, you know just news channels where they're talking about what's going on in the world you're going to get a bunch more of that sort of stuff so um, hold on I want to to add to that to what you started with is that's actually why Gen Z is preferring TikTok for searches right it's in the thread Mm. that we mentioned from my boy Tommy Clark uh, he said that TikTok to them is more trustworthy because you know the deal. When you go on Google now, so you good. search something. What are the first five search results? They're ads, oh, ads. or yeah, Google yeah. prop or Google properties, right? Uh, it's like now, Google. Goog- yeah, like the go Google ahead, suggested result. Like you can game your way into that too. Where it's like go and like yeah. search like should I buy Bitcoin? There'll be something like yeah, you definitely should. It's going to five hundred thousand dollars by twenty twenty five. It's like you just read that and like people who. I don't know, who grew up natively with the internet. This is like the difference of your parents' understanding of the internet and people who understand that people can game the internet, if that makes sense. Yeah, look at this. This is is a great visual. This is is from Tommy Clark. Tommy Clark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. It's great, right? So So could you explain it for people only listening? Yeah. Yeah, so listeners, uh, Tommy Clark uh, put two visuals here. He showed what the Google search result page looks like, which we all know. And then the right-hand side is the TikTok search results. And his point is, first of all, TikTok right now doesn't have ads or they're not being pushed to the top for the search results. That's probably going to change. But the point is, which one is more appealing, right? TikTok has proven that these stupid thumbnails that we've all laughed about for YouTube and TikTok, that's what drives people. People are social animals. People want to see faces. People want to see visuals. Like, look at that. That's crazy, the right? empty so- restaurant in the Google is so perfect. Like, for Yeah, the, for that's the- a great comparison. Yeah. Yeah, they have an and it's an restaurant. ad too from the infatuation. It's pretty yeah, funny. Exactly. And so Hello, they try- need to hire you, mate. Well, <laughs> well, I was talking to someone about it, like, so what I will say on the flip side, the bulk, like the the case for Google having a chance at you know regaining some Bias. of these. Hold on, disclaimer: Bilal was a former Google employee. Yeah, old no. stock. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 hardly. Yeah. Also, I would love to uh, call out the person who said the guy on the top right clearly owns a bunch of Ethereum and something like that. I'm like, I wish I did. Not after this last six months. But anyway, um, but yeah, so what I was saying is, you know, there's only, you know, Google is this wide in terms of search, right? Like different yeah. categories. There's retail, travel, uh, finance, like there's so many categories. Now, the, the sort of the sort of queries that are actually being taken here are what are called without getting to like uh, academic there's that navigational inf- basically like research for local stuff right that's uh, and, and the kind of visual search is dominating in that way and um, so that but that is like using visual search so that visual search is both the results you're seeing is visual but also like we're also creating a bunch of content that is visual too so how who is in a position to index all the world's images and videos 
better than Google, probably no one. So they, they do have an advantage there, except a lot of the content is, let's say, on, on TikTok or Instagram where they, where they can't index a lot of that stuff. But there are things like this is one of the stats one of them told me. He said two billion screenshots are taken every day. Two billion screenshots, right? And if Okay. For like Google just, or in general? Just in general. Like people take that many screenshots and if you just think of that sounds so like, oh, that's a bit of a random thing, like who cares about screenshots? If you just think of like how much information is on a screenshot and basically like there's basically a billion people using like Google photos and stuff to back up their photos on Android and all these different things. We don't think about it in the US because it's not as uh, prominent, but there's a billion people using that. There's a billion people using maps, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So if you add all these things together, there's a bunch of things that they can do in a smart way using visual search. My, my problem with it is that's not where people are spending the time. The reason they're going to TikTok and Instagram is because they're used to seeing food videos of their favorite influencers sharing. They went down to the local restaurant or whatever, or they went to travel in Italy and they're like, oh, you five things to see in, you know, on the Italian coast or whatever. So to me, it's like that is the been the problem for Google for a while, right? Like since, um, what was it called? Google Plus days, right? It was cool. It was like internal codename I was unnecessarily gonna say now, but there was this thing for ages where we would talk about like, oh, they're gonna create this social network, they're gonna compete. And I just never thought Google has it in their DNA to do stuff that is like people centric. Facebook did now, uh, obviously Snapchat, point. right? They're they're like algorithmic, you know, geniuses with like taking data in and being able to pass it out. And even though we complain about the Google search results, we still all use it because it's still the best. Yeah, it's still right. It's still, stop. it's very difficult to do the level of things they're doing. And so the the kind of summary is, I do think they have a chance with taking YouTube, taking the shorts, all those things, and gaining some of that back but i don't think this is reversing like i think people's behavior has changed and and like people using these platforms and we're only looking at tiktok in today's form we don't know what tiktok's going to look like in five years tiktok sorry right if it becomes like a wechat thing where they've got yeah. all these different verticals which is what people think might happen is like game over for a huge category of searches tiktok should be banned this should be banned from the United States. You know what I'm saying straight up. There we go. That's a great clip. I have to do it. It has to be banned. It's way too powerful. My last thought on this is everything we talked about. People spend more time on TikTok than uh, any Facebook, all the Facebook properties combined. It's like, it's way too powerful. After everything we talked about, I already knew it had to be banned. I'm more convinced than ever. And it's yeah. just... Culturally, once, Google Maps listings no, only. It can't, no, it can't, man. We just cannot have the CCP. Is this a geopolitical comment, Strong, or is this yeah, regardless like of it. the origin of the app? It's a geopolitical comment. It, they, Interesting. And this is the analogy: the United it's a States long never. YouTube. Yeah, the United States never would have allowed uh, the the uh, Soviet uh, party from uh, whatever the USSR to own ABC, NBC, or CBS, and that's effectively mm. what's going on here. Literally, the if you think about how much culture that TikTok is driving, it's leading to number one best-selling books. It music. got all those people into Minions. It's the most important engine for music. This is in the West. TikTok is driving culture. Mm. It's owned by a Chinese company that has the CCP on its board. It has to be banned. In the yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, great points. The only devil's advocate comment I would have is... The analogy isn't perfect because they're not doing the programming. 
but they do influence. They don't create. They're the choosing content. what you see, though. Correct. So you're right. There is a nuance, but, but they it is, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not and one for one, but it's close. Yeah. They the only way this can survive, and people are gonna hate to hear this, but Donald Trump was right. He did it for the wrong reasons, but he, what he did was politically correct. Was to ban it, uh, or to try to ban it. Uh, he didn't. The reason he did it poorly is because a he's Donald Trump and couldn't get it through, and b it it has to be more than an executive order. It needs to be legislation. So ban it or give it entirely to whatever. I don't care. Let Oracle and Walmart own it. It cannot be owned by ByteDance. What, what actually happened? What was the summary of the punchline to all that? When it happened, what he was lost the... the election and uh, Biden never followed through with it. But, Got it. But a lot of people in the administration have come in. It's not even a lot of people. Uh, the view from both sides and Democrats and Republicans is they view China as a real threat now, more so than in 2015 before Trump. And uh, it is an issue. It is still an issue. People are still talking about it. BuzzFeed had that huge leak of how China is still accessing U.S. data. I just, I just think it's a no-brainer when you think about the amount of influence it has, that it just can't be in the hands of a strategic rival. Yeah, fair, fair I, enough. I was just going to try and tie one point back to our original discussion, which is YouTube does have the luxury of like Google, not so much like generation Z has strong connections with people who produce content on YouTube. Fair. Is that a fair comment? Yeah. Like longer say, form say, stuff? Like Mr. Beast. Right. Say that again. Say that again. Because I just started laughing. We said generation Z sounded so <laughs> boomer there. You were like, Generation Z. I was like, this we, uh, guy was, was born the in the 1900s. After millennials and uh... <laughs> Zoomers. 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 Sorry, could you say it again? So, so Gen basically, Z... I'm saying the, the, the YouTube meme is stronger with Gen Z than the Google meme. That, oh, for sure. Yeah. Je so I'm yeah. They, live on, they live on there. YouTube. Yeah. There's an opportunity there. Like maybe 100%. the analogy is like that's their TV. You know, I know TikTok is, is playing some of that role, but like. Someone's going to watch a five-minute clip or 10-minute highlights from a podcast. That's like the equivalent of watching, you know, an hour-long special on TV probably for, for some You're people. right. No, I think, and also just if you think of like TV is one, but it's almost like more than TV. It's like becoming part radio, like yeah, equivalent yeah, yeah. of part radio in the past when you think longer term of people listening in the background and stuff, if that fully happens. Like, you know, so yeah, I 100% agree by far. And also kind of like a career. Like if the number one thing, when we were kids, you'd ask kids what they want to be. They'd say like an astronaut. The number one thing now is I want to be a YouTuber. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that is the reality of- I think it's phenomenal, Bilal. Yeah, 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 <laughs> fair enough. That, yeah, I probably do agree uh, on that side anyway. All right, boys, we got- um, yeah, that's that's true. We don't need to talk Amazon. I'm good All with right, this. So just, we, we cut that. Yeah, because I well, think let me we, give we, a little secret sauce for the the uh, the the listeners. We uh, we often write what this the headline for the 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 podcast or YouTube's gonna be, and uh, I already did that. We don't need that anymore. Oh no, that's the way. That's the way. No characters for it. I think we already hit hour and a half. Uh, I think so. I think this is a good time. Oh, that's a good title, Trung. That's yeah, gonna bad, that's gonna right? hit some searches. Yeah, yeah. We need yeah, to chop this up and get it on TikTok, Trung. Or All we right, just but... change it to? Should we just change? <laughs> so for the listeners, uh, I just typed to the boys uh, BTC versus ETH, comma three AC blow up, comma TikTok secret sauce. But I'm actually thinking we should change it to just 
ban TikTok capitalism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, TikTok that's the should thumbnail. be banned as a clip for sure. With you this screaming. is the the inside baseball or whatever it's called. That you're gonna see the thumbnail now that Jack's gonna conjure up. Mate, I think we need to. I think I need to up the thumbnails from the the gridded three piece, and I need to get them. I need to start cutting people's faces out. No, so, let's do uh, it. Let's go for let's go for YouTube with the text, and uh, I think we Bitcoin uh, influencer. I will say, like, just for if anyone's still listening, like the sailor episode is the first time that we used text in the thumbnail, and not is not the only reason. Obviously, like it's Michael Sailor, whatever, but like genuinely like that stuff makes a big difference and i look at the click through rates because you know i'm sending you guys that number on a daily basis so <laughs> but yeah it's kind of crazy i mean we should definitely it's quite Maybe fun just like, stick to experimenting the text, yeah? with it yeah yeah we'll, we'll try it out we'll see how it goes. one face i bet is like i bet is gonna really help the thing yeah because yeah. our thumbnail is normally us three and it's kind of small like really we should have a bigger one for of us uh, totally um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we figure it out. We are not optimizing. They're amazing thumbnails. They're just not optimized for YouTube. Boys, yeah, you yeah. need to get your Elgato green screens out. <laughs> That's true. The no, next... I think we uh, need to do that. Yeah. We need <laughs> to do that. And then we can pull some very good reactions and, you know, get some nice little layers in behind them there without too much production. Thank you, Elgato. Thank you, Elgato. Hey, thank you, Elgato. Though I will say your camera's been messing up on me, so I don't want to. No. <laughs> uh, I don't want to shill it too much because the camera. You see me in the video. This uh, in the video. This recording. I have to turn it off and turn it back on because I'm having some issues. But it's all right. Uh, just so you know, I keep it real. Even when people send stuff free, we got to oh, keep sure, it real mate. when we have an issue. I don't want someone spending money on it and then having that issue. I didn't say. But overall, good, good pieces piece of kit all right this was uh, another episode not investment advice thanks for being here thanks for all your support last week you guys blew it out the park and uh really you know came through liked and subscribed on on the youtube and commented and everything i will say make sure you put the comments on youtube i know 40 50 people every time will write stuff in telegram which is amazing we love it there too but just always just copy and paste it over because it gives a nice little boost but also gets the conversation going there and uh, that's where we want to build is on youtube as well so thanks for your support and we will see you next week cheers